Good evening. Enjoyed the uh, RSVs up at uh, Yosemite. Enjoyed the NASBs towards the end of Yosemite. And I think, what do you guys call the one chun? Is that the, the they, they wrote a, a very nice, for those that weren't at the wedding, a very, very beautiful um, song uh, about marriage. And it was, uh, it was, it was nice. And they, they played for it, played, uh, played it for us up at Yosemite. It was enjoyable. Um, if you guys can turn in your Bibles to the book of Nahum, the book of Nahum, we'll be continuing this evening, and uh, as we mentioned last time, uh, the book of Nahum is a sequel to the book of Jonah. Jonah leaves us on a cliffhanger as to what happened to this town. Um, we know that it was not destroyed, that God's wrath was uh, swayed. Um, by their repentance and their, their turning to God from their sin. And um, then God had to do a little work on Jonah at the end of the book, and then we're kind of left to see what, what, uh, what happened. And here in Nahum, written roughly 150, or, t- or taking place roughly 100 to 150 years later, um, we see what has happened to this, uh, this city, uh, this, the, the capital of Assyria. Uh, Nahum is a minor prophet, and just like most of the minor prophets uh, throughout Scripture, uh, it's a very short book, um, and that's why we refer to it as a minor prophet. Just because the word minor is there doesn't mean that uh, the message is uh, insignificant in any way. We have a lot of uh, the character and attributes of God laid out for us within these minor prophets. Um, The... uh, the message um, is very powerful in this book of Nahum, of who God is, and his, um, his attitude, his, his heart against sin and what it does. So uh, for context, because it, it was a few or a month or two ago that we looked at Nahum, we'll read uh, chapter 1 just for context, and we, we left off at verse 7 last time. So we'll, we'll read, uh, we'll start at uh, verse 1 of Nahum. Uh, chapter 1. Uh, the burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance, vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord, Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, and the earth earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation, and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not arise, rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns and while drunken like drunkards, 
They shall be devoured like stubble, fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus saith the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved images and the molded images. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feast, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. And uh, we'll ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. As we talked about last time, uh, this book opens up with several characteristics and several attributes of who God is. God is a jealous God. Um, jealousy today is looked down upon. Um, if, if somebody is jealous, if a husband is jealous, if a wife is jealous, it's, looked, it's frowned upon in today's culture. Um, but this is an attribute, this is a characteristic, and this is a name of God. God is jealous. He's jealous of his people, uh, those that he's called. And he is jealous of their attention and their affection and who they worship. And Nineveh was given a second chance. We read in Romans that anybody who is on the face of this planet, in Romans chapter 1, has, is given an opportunity to, to know who God is. Um, by looking simply at creation, the stars, uh, the heavens, uh, the earth, um, they can look and see that somebody had to create this, and they have to do something with that. Um, today, in, in today's day and time, uh, they say that it happened by chance, and they, they brush it off, or they come up with a, a big compound reason as to why uh, everything came into existence. Um, but they, so they, they choose to reject who God is. So Nineveh had that, or the, the Assyrians and, and those in, in Nineveh had that opportunity, and um, they rejected it. They were evil, they were wicked, and this is why Jonah did not want to go and refused to go to Nineveh to preach the, the gospel to them. He was, he was obviously corrected as we uh, spoke on last year, um, and uh, the gospel was given to him, or actually a message of judgment was given to him, and they repented, and, and God's wrath turned. Well, what happened, about a hundred years later, they fell right back into where they were. Um, and God was, is, is jealous. He's jealous of that. Um, he, wanted, uh, he wants our total affection, our worship, and, and our love. And also, this people, this Assyrian uh, uh, army and force, had been a constant enemy of Israel, constantly attacking them, constantly um, harassing them, and going to war. Um, we, we talked about this in Jonah, but the Assyrians were a very wicked, vile people. We're going we're gonna, to, Lord willing, get into that tonight as to how bad they were, but um, some of the things that they were do were just horrendous. Um, uh, there's um, rules of war or rules of engagement, and, and some that are in the military could explain those things. Uh, there's certain things that you just don't do when you're at war. Um, the Assyrians threw that book out the window. Um, they would, they would uh, cut the heads off of their enemies, pile them in a nice big pile, and um, it would be a billboard for all those that passed by of who had come through. It was the Assyrians. Uh, they would skin their enemies and drape the skins over the tents. They would bury their enemies uh, neck deep 
or, 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 or shoulder deep in the, in the sand in the middle of the desert and just let them go crazy. And uh, it was so bad and people feared the Assyrian army so much that if it was heard that they were coming into town, there is record of entire communities committing suicide in order to just avoid the torture that they were gonna experience from this wicked people. So these, these, these were evil men um, and, and uh, led by a wicked king as we we're gonna see in a few verses. And it says, the Lord will take vengeance. He is the one that reserves uh, wrath for these, these people. And it says, the Lord is slow to anger. Well, how slow is his anger? Well, in this case, it was 100 years, roughly, um, that, he, that he was uh, lenient to them. But it says in, in verse 3, and this was the key verse that we focused on last time, it says, he will not at all acquit or forgive the wicked. Now, that's, that might seem like a contradiction, because if most of your Bibles are like mine, you can look back to Micah chapter 7, in verse 18, and it's on the same page as Nahum. Some of you will have to turn the page. But if you look back at Micah chapter 7, verse 18, it says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Now that, at face value, would look like a contradiction. You would finish reading Micah, and you would be in a great mood. Um, who is a pardoning God like you? Um, God, a God who desire, desires to um, pardon and forgive sin. He casts it into the sea. And then you open up into Nahum, and you get to verse 3, and it says, will, God will not at all acquit the wicked. How do we reconcile this? Well, God is just. Um, he is perfect, perfectly just in every, everything that he does. Um, and for us to reconcile this, a pardoning God who's merciful and loving, at the same time a God who has to judge sin and cannot acquit sin, we have to look at the cross. Um, at the cross of Calvary, we have um, the love of God shown to us, as we read in John chapter 3, that God would so love the world that he would send his only begotten son and put him on that cross. And at the same time, during those dark hours, he would pour out the judgment and the wrath that was due for the sins of the entire world. We sing a song, it's in our hymn books, and it says, Beneath the Cross of Jesus, and there's a verse in that, in that hymn that says, uh, speaking of the cross, O safe and happy shelter, O refuge tried and sweet, O trysting place where heaven's love and heaven's justice meet. That's on the cross, where the God who is a God of love, a God of mercy, a God who desires to pardon and forgive sin, he can forgive it at the cross because that judgment that was due for you, that judgment that was due for me, was poured out on his son. And by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved. Um, so this is how we reconcile these things. Uh, a God who cannot put up with sin. He has to judge sin. He's perfectly just. If, if somebody was to commit a murder and then stand before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals up in Northern California and stand and, and tell, and tell the, the judges that, um, you know, yes, I did commit this murder, but 
you know, I, I was really good uh, this last year. Um, I, I volunteered in the soup kitchen, and I did a lot of really good things. And um, the, the, the judges, you know, whispered each other, and, and they just let them go. You would say that, that justice was not served, that they are not just in what they did. They did not pass judgment on him as, as required by the law. Um, God is the same way. He is perfectly just. He has to judge sin. He cannot acquit the wicked. Um, and, he, and he poured out the judgment that was due to us on the cross. Um, and so when we go down and we skip down to verse 7, and this is where we finished last time, it says that the Lord is good. Um, we, verses 1 through 6 are kind of depressing. It's a lot about how God is jealous and he's vengeful and he has to pour out wrath and um, he's angry when it comes to sin. But at the same time, this says the Lord is good. No matter what happens, the Lord is good. Um, despite what takes place, uh, the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And I couldn't help but think of the cross when I read this verse. Um, that stronghold, um, that, that, that place that we can stand, that safe and happy shelter. Um, and, and this is where, this is the, the, the phrase we left off in last time. It says, he knows those who trust in him. And the question we asked last time was, does he know you? Um, one day, um, we will all stand before God. Um, everyone will stand before God. Um, there's two judgment seats. There's the judgment seat of Christ, where those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will be judged based on their deeds here on earth. And there is the uh, great white throne judgment, where those who did not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will stand and be judged for their deeds here on earth. And for those that have not put their faith in, in, in Jesus Christ, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Um, to be unknown by a God who knows everything is a scary thought. He knows those who trust in him. You would say, well, God is, is, is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, of course he knows who I am. Uh, he knows everything, he's everywhere. Um, this isn't the type of knowledge of, of just knowing the existence of a being. This is a, a personal, intimate knowledge and, and relationship with um, the Lord and with God. And he knows those who trust in him. And the question is posed again this evening. Does he know you? And do you know him? Uh, do you know him as your personal savior? Um, and, and, and can you say, look back at that cross and, and say that my sins were um, not in part, but the whole, were nailed to the cross, and I bear them no more. Um, so we will continue in verse 8 this, this, uh, this evening. And, and continuing this thought of this judgment, uh, the book of Nahum is, is broken up into three chapters, and you can easily um, outline this book. Um, in, in chapter 1, we have the judgment declared. Um, this is where God declares the judgment, or, or through Nahum, declares the judgment of Nineveh. In chapter, in chapter 2, we have the judgment described how it's going to take place, um, what, what's going to happen to Nineveh. And in the last chapter, chapter 3, you have the judgment deserved um, and the reason why Nineveh was going to be judged. And you see the wickedness of that, of that great city. So in verse 8, it says, But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. Nineveh was a great city. Um, at the time of its destruction in 612 B.C., it was considered the largest city in the world. 
Um, the, 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 the walls in this city were so large, so tall, uh, some estimate it to be upwards of 100 uh, feet high, so roughly 10 stories tall, these walls. Thank you. And they were so wide that three to four chariots could ride side by side on the top of these walls. Um, it was about 1,800 acres, this, this, this town, this city. Um, it was just massive. And I was looking at some, some specs on, on the king's palace. Uh, the king's palace was roughly uh, 1.3 million square feet, just his house, um, 80 rooms in his house. Just, just a massive city. It's said that it could have held upwards of about 150 people, 150,000 people, uh, this city. Um, so just a monster city. And Nineveh and the Assyrians took comfort in this city. This was their stronghold. This was the, the impenetrable city. This is our fortress. No one is going to come through. Well, this city was also right next to the, the, the Tigris River. Um, it had several underground streams that would run through the city. And, you, and you'll know, and, and some of these historians, Bob and Justin, guys that are better at history than I am, uh, will know that when a, when a town or a, a city is attacked, um, water is a necessity. Um, you kind of, you close all the gates, you, you, you hunker down, and if, but if you don't have water, eventually you're gonna die. Um, so um, a tactic of the enemy is to block off the water supply into the city. Well, this city had so many water supplies, that would have been impossible. So what happened? How did people get in? The, the Neo-Babylon uh, and the Medes and, and the Babylonian, they, they formed this alliance to come up against uh, the Assyrians and attack them in 612. How did they get through? Well, um, there was a flood. Uh, there, was a, there was a big flood. Um, and it took out about two miles worth of this wall, this, this, this impenetrable uh, fortress, and took it down. And it was just, it, you could drive whatever you wanted through there. And so with an overflowing flood, um, he will make an utter end of its place. They were, they were bese or, uh, attacked through that. And it says darkness will pursue his enemies. <coughs> um, outside of God, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's darkness. Um, we read in John that, that um, he is light, um, that he is the light of the world. Um, we know that in heaven... Uh, there will be no uh, source of light, um, created source of light, but uh, the source of light in heaven is the glory of God. Um, he is light. Um, what is darkness? Well, darkness is the absence of light. Um, and here we see that darkness will pursue his enemies. And we see that hell, um, and, and, and the Lord Jesus confirms this um, in his preaching, that hell is, is there's the blackness of darkness. It's, it's so dark and terrible, and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's, it's, a, it's a picture to us of judgment. And so in verse 9, it says, What do you conspire against the Lord? Um, do you really think you have a chance? Um, it, it is what's being said here. It says, He will make an utter end of whatever you're planning uh, to, to do against the Lord. And it says, Affliction will not arise up a second time. There's no more second chances. You've had enough. Um, and that's a very scary thought, to, to think that, this, this town, this city, was out of chances, that, that, that they, had, they had gotten to that point of no return, um, no, no more second chances, that, that judgment was coming and nothing was going to stop it. And there will be a day um, when we have no more chances. Um, those that reject Christ, um, there will come a time when they 
they don't know when they will breathe their last. Um, they don't know um, through work and, and um, seeing, you know, hellacious accidents and, and shootings and stuff like that. I, I always think, and I've shared this at the podium before, I always think of, of that person laying there. They didn't know that today was going to be their last day. They had no idea. And a lot of times it's not a gang member, it's just an innocent bystander. You know, somebody was going to the grocery store to buy milk or a kid that was running across the street. Um, they didn't know it was going to be their last day. And, and there, will be, there will come a time when you will have no more chances. Um, and uh, that's why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Um, and uh, I encourage you not to leave this place before you know for sure where you will go when you die. Um, for, uh, in verse 10 it says, For while tangled like thorns and while drunkard, drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble fully dried. Um, this, this idea that they are so bogged down by sin, tangled like thorns. Um, I, I think of when I go fishing, and, and when you go fishing, the best fishing spot is always when there's bushes and branches, and you got your pole, and you're just trying to get through, and you're just, it's the worst thing, but you see the fish, you got to get there, and you're just all tangled up. Um, that's what I picture when I think of this. Or drunken like drunkards, somebody that can't stand up straight, um, controlled by an outside influence. Um, and that's what they would do. They were caught in their sin. They were dragged in their sin. And, and, and it says they will be devoured like stubble, fully dried. Um, I think we can look up into the mountains and see uh, what dry stubble uh, is good for. Um, it's good for a fire, and it goes quickly. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Uh, many scholars believe that this is Sennacherib. And if we, uh, we have this mentioned three times throughout Scripture, um, in, uh, in Kings, in Chronicles, and also in Isaiah, um, this, this wicked and evil uh, king that uh, constantly harassed Israel. You, if you remember Hezekiah, we have uh, Rabshakeh who was sent and d to deliver letters and, and to call out and to discourage him, um, and we know what ultimately happened there. Um, but he was an evil counselor, um, and he plots evil against the Lord. Um, in verse 12 it says, Thus saith the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, Yet in this manner they will be cut down. When he passes through, though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. Um, uh, the Assyrians boasted in their army. They boasted in their strength. Uh, they were a superpower at that time. Um, nobody could touch them. And, uh, and they started getting weak towards the end. Um, but though they are safe or, 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 or comfortable or at peace, and likewise many, um, it, you will see at the end of the, cha of the book in, in chapter 3, um, the Lord says, multiply yourself. Get as many people as you want on your side. Um, we're still going to wipe you out. You're still, you're still going to be judged for your sin. Um, he says, I will afflict you no more. For now, I will break off this yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. Um, and and th this, this judgment, this, this destruction that is being declared upon Nineveh, in verse 14, it says, The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved images and the molded images. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Uh, there's something ominous about God div digging the grave for this, these, these people. Um, he says, I, or, or having your enemy, these, the enemy of, of the Ninevites being God, um, digging your grave for you. Um, and it says, your name shall be perpetuated no longer. 
Um, after their destruction, uh, they were completely wiped out, especially this city, this judgment being poured out on this city. Um, it was completely destroyed, um, and, and there was nothing left. Uh, they, were, they, were, they were cast away. And it was out of the house of your gods I will cut off carved images and the molded images. And we see towards the end of this book that um, these false gods had crept back in. These man-made images that um, they put in place of God. And, and we see that as a, as a struggle for Israel throughout their, uh, their history. And, and it was a struggle for, for the, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, um, to, to put something in place of God. And, and what a struggle it is for us at times um, to put things in place of God um, and, and to, to have something that we deemed more important than God. And he says, I will cut these images off. So on verse 15, we have a shift here. And he says, behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings. Now this verse seems completely just out of context. I mean, how is this good tidings? He's, just, he's, he's saying that you're going to be cut down, you're going to be destroyed, you're going to be wiped out. So why do we have this verse here? Well, what was the book of Nahum written for? Um, this is a question I keep asking myself. Why, why is this book in the Bible? Um, what, was, what was the prophecy of Nahum used for? Um, and I believe it was used for an encouragement to the children of Israel. Um, and, and we've been in uh, Monday Night Bible Study, we've been going through Revelation. And what, one thing that is jumping out to me through, the, through that study is the praise to God for the destruction of the enemy. We see this through the Psalms, um, David praying for destruction of his enemies. Um, and and it's, it's hard for us to kind of think about that. We think, well, we, we gotta pray for our enemies. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta um, you know, reach out to them and, and, and do these things. Well, as we see here in this book, it's, it's gotten to a point where they, their chances are over. Um, judgment has been uh, decreed and declared and, and they have no more chance. And now judgment is gonna be poured out on these people uh, for their sin, for their acts against his chosen people. And this is good news to the children of Israel. This is, this is a gospel of peace. Um, once once the, the Assyrians are destroyed, there's breathing room for the, uh, the children of Israel. Um, uh, it says, O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows for the wicked one, the wicked one being the Ninevites, or the, 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 the people of Nineveh, shall no more uh, pass through you. He is utterly cut off uh, to com be completely destroyed. Um, it's, it's similar to in, in Revelations chapter 19 when Babylon is finally destroyed and praise erupts in heaven over this destruction of this, this harlot, this, this one that has caused so much pain and suffering to the people of God. Um, praise that God has finally passed judgment. Um, and he is a just and, ju uh, and loving God. In, in, in chapter 2, what we're going to do, and we're going to go through this fairly quickly because, Lord willing, we're going to finish the book tonight. Um, in chapter 2, we have judgment described. And we're going to kind of go through this rather quickly because um, uh, this is it's pretty, uh, it's more of a narrative here. Um, it says, in verse 1, it says, He who scatters has come up before your face. Man the fort, watch the road, strengthen your flanks, fortify your power mightily. Um, there's a sense of sarcasm in this, in, in this verse here. Um, go ahead, man the forts, you know, batten down the hatches, 
uh, do whatever you got to do to, to get ready for the battle. Um, it's going to be of no use, but go ahead. Um, fortify your power mightily. For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. Um, and the emptiers being the Assyrians. Uh, they have come and they have constantly um, attacked the children of Israel, taken them into captivity, um, uh, ravaged their villages and, their, and their, the countryside, and have emptied them. Now the emptiers have, are the ones uh, going to be judged here. And in verse 3 it says, The shield of his mighty men are made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariots come with flaming torches in the day of his preparation, and the spears are brandished. The chariots rage in the streets. They jostle one another in the broad roads. They seem like torches. They run like lightning. Um, this, is, this is the judgment that is being described um, of how it's going to take place, what's going to happen. Uh, the Assyrians are going to go up against a, a big battle uh, up against the Babylonians. And, and, and some others that have, have joined forces. And um, it says the shields of the men are, are, are made red. Um, one of the tactics of the, the armies and the, the forces back then were, were to paint the shields and, and the armor and things red. Um, red, we know that is just a symbol of blood. It reminds us of blood. And um, to see an army of red coming, marching towards you would be very, um, it, it would just do things psychologically to you. Um, and, and that was a lot. A lot of war in this time was psychological. And so the, the shields of the men are red. Um, it says the chariots with flaming torches. Um, some have suggested this, and, and there, there's, there is some archaeology to, to back this up, that their chariots, that were, they were made of metal, but they had um, these, uh, um, losing the word, what's it called when you uh, harvest uh, wheat? Sickle. They, they put uh, the sickle blades on the edge of, or in, in the wheels, and these things would spin, and as they spun, they would spark. And so as these chariots are coming um, into town, it looks like they're on fire. I mean, just, just scary stuff, um, and, and to, to really mess with their heads. Um, their spears were, are brandished. Uh, the chariots are raging in the streets, um, and, and just chaos. And, and this battle would last for, for three years. Um, some estimate. Um, and so in verse 5, it says, He, being Nineveh, remembers his nobles. They stumble in their walk. They make haste to their walls, and the defense is prepared. The gates of the rivers are opened, and the palace is dissolved. It is decreed, she shall be led away captive, and she shall be brought up, and her maidservants shall lead her as with the voice of doves beating their breasts. So the nobles, the ones that you lean on, the ones that you go to, what, what do we do? How are we going to overcome this? Um, they're stumbling in their walk. They don't, they don't know what to do. Um, they're, they're at their the wit's end. Um, you know, uh, strengthen the walls. Get, make ready for war. Uh, the defense is prepared. Uh, the gates are, are, of the rivers are, are, are opened. And it says the palace is dissolved. It's interesting that the archaeology backs this up as well, that during that flood, um, this 1.3 million square foot palace was actually completely dissolved by water. Um, it says, it is decreed she shall be led away captive. And, and, and that's what took place. They, they were all led away captive. And what I think is interesting, it says, her maidservant shall, uh, shall lead her away. 
Um, they, they're, they're the ones in the front as the voice of doves beating their breasts. Um, many of you know in a week uh, or less or more, we will be going to Yuma to uh, um, harvest some birds and uh, some doves. And uh, one of the, the, the breeds or the um, species is, is the morning dove. And uh, it gets this, this name from the sound that it makes when it takes off. And it's got a, a whistle uh, and, and it, and it kind of sounds like it's morning um, as, as, it, as it takes off in flight. Um, so it's, it's led away as the voice of, a do, of doves beating their breasts as they take off. Um, in verse 8, it says, Though Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, it was, it was a place to be desired, now they flee away. They say, uh, halt, halt, they cry, but no one turns back. Uh, there's no one to help. Um, you're at the end of your rope, Nineveh. Uh, take spoil of silver, take spoil of gold. There is no end of treasure or wealth of every desirable prize. She is empty, desolate, and waste. The hearts melt and the knees shake. Much pain is in every side, and all their faces are drained of color. It's a scary thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Um, to, to think that a hundred years earlier, this, this whole city, 120,000 plus, had turned and, and, and repented from their sin and turned to God from it. And now they have gone back into their sin. Uh, th their children and their children's children have not learned the lesson that their parents learned. And now they have gone back and they, they've become even more wicked, more evil. Um, and look at the reaction to this judgment that's being poured out. It says, uh, the heart melts, the knees shake, much pain is on every side. Uh, the color in their faces are drained. Um, it reminded me as I was reading this of Belshazzar uh, when, he, when the writing was on the wall. It says that his joints went out of hip and his knees began to shake because it was over. Um, he was done. Uh, that night, the enemy was going to come in and take him out and, to, and, and kill him. And so um, thinking of what it's going to be like that day for those that stand at that great white throne judgment, um, that know that it's too late, that... that, that, that um, you, you, just like Nineveh in this book, you had, you had chances and you rejected them, and now it's too late. Um, the, the, the physical um, shaking that's going to take place um, and just the, the tremendous, uh, the tremendous um, pain and suffering that's about to take place, is just, it's going to be unbearable. Um, in verse 11, uh, 11 through the end of the book, we have this reference to lions. It says, where is the dwelling of the lions and the feeding place of the young? Lions, uh, the, the feeding place of the young lions, where the lion walks, the lioness and lion's cubs, um, no one made them afraid. The lion tore in pieces enough for his cubs, killed for his lionesses, filled their caves with prey, and his dens with flesh. Um, the Assyrians loved lions. I don't know if it, the, the, the area was just, there was a lot of lions over there or what, but that was their symbol, and it was the symbol of power. Um, they, they, they always had the picture of lions. You think of a king's throne and two just big lions with uh, full manes on either side of the king's chair there. Um, and so this was a picture of, of their army, uh, their strength. He says, where is the dwelling place of the lions? And, and he's saying, you, you had your, your, uh, your fun. 
Um, you had your, your time of, of pillaging and killing and, and uh, harvesting and just uh, filling your dens with prey. And probably the most scariest verse in this book is in verse 13. He says, Behold, I am against you, says the Lord. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. Um, again, what a, what a scary thought to have the, the God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, to be against you, uh, to be your enemy. Um, he says, I will burn your chariots in smoke, um, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers will be heard no more. There's no, there's no more going for help. Um, I will take out your army, they will be, they'll be gone, and, and you will be stuck. Um, and, and again, thinking of that time when, when we stand before God and he, he could say, depart from me, I never knew you. Um, behold, I am against you. Um, and and this, is, uh, this is, again, for those that have rejected that message, rejected the gospel of peace. Um, Behold, I am against you. And in, in, in the beginning of verse or uh, chapter three, we have judgment deserved. And uh, many times, I, I, as I read Jonah, I look back at this uh, this chapter here, and to see the, the the total destruction and how bad Nineveh was. Um, he he pronounces a woe in verse one. He says, "Woe to that bloody city! It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs." The noise of the whip, the noise of the rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots, um, just just terror. The, the terror that Nineveh would strike, or the Assyrians would strike into their, their victims, into their enemies. Um, again, reminding you that, that some of these communities, these villages and towns would commit suicide just to avoid being um, falling into the hands of these wicked men. Um, the horsemen charged with bright sword and gathering spear um, Glittering spear, there is a multitude of slain, a, a number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses. Um, there, was no, um, there was no mercy when it came to, to Nineveh. Uh, they, 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 they slew everybody. Um, others would, would um, as you see uh, with the Babylonians, they would, they would take captive the, the children of Israel. They would take captive. They would pick um, the, the, the best of the best, they would bring them into their palace, they would train them, uh, they would leave the, the, the widows, um, they would leave a remnant in the city, um, they would even maybe set up a king for them, um, and, and, and there was some sort of, um, like we said, rules of engagement, but not for Nineveh. Um, they just left the bodies piled up in the streets. And he says again in verse 5, Behold, I am against you. I am against you for these things, for the sin that you've committed, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift up your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you, uh, uh, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. It shall come to pass, all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste, who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Um, no one's going to care. No one's going to care that you're gone. Um, there, there's going to be no help for you. Um, and uh, he says, I will lift up your skirts. I'm going to embarrass you. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to take apart that fortress that you were so proud of. I'm going to um, 
tear down your, your gods, your false gods. I'm going to um, cast abominable filth on you and make you a spectacle for the, for the rest of the world to see. Um, and no one will care. <laughs> and then in verse 8, we have something very interesting. And, and, and what, what God does here through Nahum is he reminds them of something. He brings up something that's very tangible to them. He says, are you better than no Amon? Some of you will have uh, the word Thebes in there. Are you better than no Amon that was situated by the river, that had the waters around her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea? Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was boundless. Put in Lubin were your helpers. Yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. They cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. Um, Putin Lumen were, were, uh, or, or Thebes was a town that the Assyrians had conquered in, a, in a 663 BC. Um, and as you see here, um, they dashed the kids to pieces in the streets. Um, just wicked, vile violence, um, and just totally wiped them out. And so God is, is reminding them through Nahum. He's saying, do you remember, you remember Putin, uh, uh, Noaman, how you, how you did those things to that, 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 that group of people? In verse 11, he says, you also will be drunk and you will be hidden and you will seek refuge from the enemy. All your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Um, when you think of a tree that's just ready, it's just it's it's full of fruit, and the fruit is just you could just touch it and it's going to fall down. That was their stronghold. That was their um, where they were going to go. We were reminded in in verse seven of chapter one that the Lord is the only stronghold that we can have. There is no man-made stronghold that will keep us uh, from God. Surely your people in your midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates. Uh, there would be nothing more scarier for a city of this stature, of this you know, fortitude, to have the army and the enemy approaching and the gates aren't working. You can't shut the gates. It's like the garage door button. It's not working. It's not going down. And they're marching. And now the, door, it, the door's wide open. And they're coming. Um, and this is what God has said. And, and, and again, thinking about that river that had torn down that wall and just opened that gate wide open for them. Uh, he says, draw water for the siege. Um, get, get as much supplies as you want. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread out the mortar. Make strong the bricks kiln. You know, build, your, build your wall as high as you want to go. Um, do whatever you want to do. Um, the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. Um, it will eat you up like a locust. Um, and then, as we mentioned earlier, he says, uh, make yourselves many like the locusts. Uh, make yourself like the, the, the swarming locusts. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven. The locusts plunder and, the fly, uh, and flies away. Your commanders, those men that you look to for strength and wisdom and guidance in war, um, they're like swarming locusts. All the generals are like grasshoppers. And it says they, they crawl into the cracks on a cold day of the wall. They hide because of what's happening. And in verse uh, 18, he says, Your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered in the mountains. 
No one gathers them. Your injury has no healing. After this battle in 612, there was no recovery for, for the Assyrians. Uh, they were wiped out, uh, and, and even to this day. Uh, your wound is severe. All who hear the news of you will clap their hands over you. For upon, you, uh, for upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? Um, you, have, you have wreaked havoc on the area. You've wreaked havoc on the, the people of God. And now um, judgment day has come. So in, uh, application, what do we draw from the book of Nahum? Um, the first thing that we draw is, as we spoke of earlier is that God is a just God, that he has to judge sin and he has to take care of sin. And God did take care of sin on the cross, um, pouring it out on the Lord Jesus Christ. But God is a perfect gentleman and he will not force himself on you. It is, it is a personal choice to accept the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ for you um, for eternity. Um, the second application that I draw from this book is that every generation is responsible for revival. Um, we see a great revival that takes place in the book of Jonah. 120,000 people turn to God from their sin. Then a hundred years later, a generation, generation and a half later, um, they're back in their sin. Um, we cannot ride on the coattails of the great revivals of the past. Um, it's important for us to, to fuel the flame of revival within our generation. Uh, here I see the, the, the tremendous need for discipleship. Um, had the Assyrians or had the Ninevites come to those young ones and, and, and train them up in the ways of the Lord, uh, perhaps this, they could have avoided this judgment. Perhaps they could have avoided this, 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 uh, this terrible thing that happened. But because of, of them allowing the kids to wander and allowing the kids to go out into the world and to bring those carved images back and to bring those, those, those distractions back into their life, it caused this, and it was a vicious cycle. Um, so uh, as we close, uh, the, the, the most important thought of the night is that verse in, in, in verse 7, does he know you? Does, do you know the Lord as your personal Savior? And second, um, what are you doing to fuel the flame of revival? Um, uh, and, and I'm going to, I apologize because I forget who this was, and somebody's going to remind me after the meeting. But it was a, it was a woman who was praying for revival, and, and she just felt the Lord uh, telling her to do this. And, and she reached down and drew a circle uh, in, on the ground with some chalk, and she stood in the circle, and, and, and the Lord told her, uh, pray that the revival starts in that circle. Um, and, and the point of that is to say that the revival starts with us, um, it starts with you, it starts with me, um, and then it goes from there. Uh, twelve. It took 12 men um, in the New Testament to turn the world upside down. Um, what could the Lord do with us um, if we completely surrender to him? Let's look to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just again want to thank you for another opportunity to open your word, uh, to look at this this prophet, this prophecy of Nahum. Father, we know that uh, every book, every word in the Bible is given to us by inspiration from you, and it is breathed by you. And Father, it's important for us, 
both for rebuke and correction. And Father, when we think of this book of Nahum, we, we think of the urgency to, um, to share the gospel with those who um, perhaps are on their, their, their last chance. Um, Father, I pray for every, each and every person in this room that they would not walk out of these doors before they know where they will go when they die. Um, Father, we know that it is your desire that we know for sure where we go when we perish. And Father, I just pray that you would um, uh, impress upon our hearts the urgency uh, to share the gospel uh, with the world. And then Father, also uh, the need for us to reach every generation uh, with the truth of your word. And Father, that revival um, is only a generation long. And Father, each generation has to um, take up that, the, the, the reins uh, to, to grab that torch and to run. And Father, we just pray that you would show us how to do so. We, we pray that you would start a revival in each one of us. Um, and Father, that you would fuel the flames, um, that your spirit would lead and guide us. Father, we ask that uh, you would part us with your blessing this evening. And we pray this in your son's worthy and precious name. Amen.